Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, March 30th, we are studying Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 through 19. The time has come. The entire gospel of Matthew has been driving toward this moment. The climax is about to begin. Jesus has finished his teaching, and he enters willingly into the time of his passion. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Matt Ulmer. Pastor Ulmer serves at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. Pastor Ulmer, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good morning, Pastor Apple. As we get started this morning, Pastor Ulmer, give us some context. We're coming out of a long discourse of Jesus, Matthew 24 and 25. Jesus spoke at length about the, the destruction of Jerusalem, the end times. It's his fifth and final discourse in the Gospel of Matthew, and, and things really now come to a climax. What do we need to know going forward into this text today as we, we start considering the passion of our Lord according to St. Matthew? Yeah, very, very good. I think the first thing that we have to consider uh, when we start studying the text of Matthew 26 is that the very first verse, uh, when Jesus had finished all of these things, he said to his disciples, this is very familiar uh, language in the Gospel of Matthew because a very similar verse always ends one of Jesus's discourse, of which of discourses of which there are five in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, the first of which is uh, Matthew 5 to 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. This is where Jesus does a, a large amount of teaching on uh, the law. He, he teaches the Beatitudes. He expands the law uh, to its greatest uh, level. He teaches his disciples uh, the Lord's Prayer. And then uh, at the end of that particular uh, teaching in Matthew seven twenty-eight, he uh, concludes, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Uh, the second one is in Matthew 10, which is sometimes known as the Mission Discourse. This is when Jesus names the, the 12 apostles, his 12 disciples, and then he sends them out. He sends them out with specific instruction to uh, go to the, the land of Israel. Uh, he instructs them not to uh, carry with them more than they need, um, and that concludes in Matthew 11.1, 1, which reads, uh, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Uh, discourse number three is Matthew 13, where Jesus teaches parables about the kingdom of heaven. A lot of these are well-known and beloved parables, such as the, king, uh, the parable of the sower, uh, the parable of the weeds, the parable of the mustard seed and, and the leaven. And he concludes this uh, teaching in Matthew thirteen fifty three, which reads, And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. The fourth is uh, Matthew chapter 18. This is kind of known as Jesus' teaching on the church. Um, he teaches uh, a couple kingdom parables here, the, the parable of the lost sheep, but he also uh, teaches the, the very famous Matthew 18 passage where how uh, Christians are to deal with one another's sins. Um, this uh, discourse ends with Matthew 19, 1, where it says, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judah beyond the Jordan. The final one is the is the discourse that you had just mentioned, which takes place between Matthew 23 and 25. 
And this is commonly known as the Olivet Discourse because he teaches it to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. The main themes of this discourse are of judgment and the end times. And um, this discourse ends with Matthew 26, 1, the, the first uh, verse of our passage for today, which reads, when Jesus had finished all of these things, he said to his disciples, and then that the text continues. So, and, and to, this is worth pointing out, and I know we haven't read the whole text, but verse, verse one of our text does say, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, and, and that's unique from all of those other concluding statements that you were listing earlier in the first four discourses. Jesus had finished these sayings, or Jesus had finished instructing, something like that. But this time Matthew says, when Jesus had finished all these sayings. So is is this verse then intended, well, what what all is Matthew intending to recall for us with that statement, all these saying? Is he only talking about the the previous discourse, the Olivet one? Or is he recalling everything previous? What do you think? Yeah, I I definitely tend to lead towards the, the second option that you laid out, where he is closing the Olivet discourse with these words, but it, it it's much bigger than that. Um, when Jesus says, uh, when it says that Jesus had finished all of these things, what, what's happening in the Gospel of Matthew is is really that all of Jesus's teaching ministry is kind of getting wrapped up um, by chapter 26. And as we're going to talk about here in a little bit, what what happens in this particular uh, passage is that Jesus's ministry changes. It changes from being one of being with disciples, from traveling from place to place, from teaching various things about God and his kingdom, doing various miracles, showing the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. But with, with, this, with this passage and, and the conclusion of Jesus' teaching ministry, we're going to really see what the entire thing is about. And without kind of getting into too much and spoiling too much in information here, what, what Jesus is going to do now is going to really be the, the crown jewel, the capstone of the work of God. I, I can't remember who told me this once, but it stuck with me that, that one way to think about the Gospel of Matthew, and I, I think you could probably say this about Mark, Luke, and John as well, is that it's, it's a passion narrative with a really long introduction. So, so chapters 1 through 25 are Matthew's introduction to get to what he wanted to tell you the whole time, which is this part, the suffering, the death, the resurrection of, of Jesus. And, and I'm, I'm with you, Pastor Ulmer, when it, when it comes to, to good radio, we don't want to spoil everything. But, but what's ironic, I think, a, a bit in that is that Jesus already has spoiled everything all along in the Gospel of Matthew. He's, he's told us several times what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem. And, and in fact, we're going to see him spoil it right here at the beginning as he, he reminds his disciples what is about to happen in, in these days. So any, any further introductory yeah, comments before we... All right, so let's, let's go ahead then and let's, let's read the text and dig right in. So Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 1. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. 
and from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. That's our text for today, Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 through 19. Pastor Elmer, we, we talked at length about that first verse. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, Matthew wraps up for us not only the Olivet Discourse, but but Jesus' ministry in Israel of, of preaching and teaching up to this point so that he can move on into the, the main event, the, the passion, the crucifixion, the resurrection of our Lord. And, and what better way for that to start than with the words of the Lord himself? What What's significant about the way that Jesus speaks in verse two? Yeah, I mean, in in Jesus's words here, it, I mean, it shouldn't be shocking to us, but it kind of is when you hear him uh, that Jesus is so direct uh, about. He he speaks very plainly to his disciples about what's going to happen. I mean, they're going into Jerusalem. The, the Passover is coming, and he tells them that uh, without without mincing words, he tells them that the time uh, of my death is coming. Um, this shouldn't be a shock to the disciples, because even in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus had already told them that this was going to happen in Matthew 20. Um, he told his disciples that they were going to Jerusalem, and there that the Son of Man would be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they would condemn him to death. Um, but by hearing these words from Jesus in such plain, uh, simple language is is kind of shocking. Right, it really is. And as I was reading it, 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 it strikes me, it, Jesus starts, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. It, certainly the disciples knew that the Passover was coming. That that would have been front and mm-hmm. center in their minds. They'd come into Jerusalem for the Passover. But but you, you kind of wondered, did they know that the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified? They should have known, right? That, as, as you pointed out, Jesus has told them that it's going to happen. But but maybe, and we've, we've seen them struggle with this all along, and I think we're going to, we, we see it in this text as well, that, that they didn't quite grasp all that that really entailed. So yeah, he certainly Jesus knows. And and that's something I think we really want to hold on to throughout this text is that, and, and not only this text, but moving forward into the rest of the passion narrative through the rest of 26 and 27, Jesus knows what's going to happen. He's not going to be surprised by it. He's doing it willingly for the sake of sinners. And, and we, that's just very imperative, I think, for us to keep in our minds as we move forward into this text. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with everything that you said there. Number one, um, when Jesus says this as plainly as he does, I think he is indicating that, number one, he knows exactly what's going to happen. Number two, he's in control of everything that's going to happen. And then, just to comment real quickly on the disciples, I, I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty easy to understand from this text that they they don't know what's going on yet because when we get to the next section when he's anointed, they they kind of act in a way that shows that they think this is just a a normal passing of time, a, a normal Passover, a normal time with their with their Lord, um, but he is very clear to to show them that it's not normal. But we'll get right. that to, we'll get to that in a little bit. Right, right. So so and I think this is this is a good opportunity then to to introduce the idea of of something that you you send in your notes to me that I think is going to be helpful to us. The idea of of irony in the passion narrative that we're going to see all along the perspective of of our Lord. He knows what's happening. He's in control. And at the same time, throughout the narrative, we're going to be presented with another perspective that, that seems at odds with that in some way, shape, or form. And that, that party, whether it's the, the Pharisees, the chief priests, even the disciples occasionally, that party is going to have a different perspective, and they're not going to realize that, that they are at odds. So, so Pastor Elmer, help us a little bit. How, how are we going to see some, some irony already 
in, in what Matthew tells us in verses three through five. Yeah, this is this is one of my favorite things that that God shows us in Holy Scripture. So in verse two, we get Jesus's very clear prediction uh, about what is going to happen to him, and then immediately after that, we have kind of this this side conversation that's going on. I would guess kind of at the same time where the chief priests and the elders of the people they're gathering together. And they are trying to figure out how to kill Jesus. They, these are people who have tremendous power. They have tremendous influence, and they want something. Jesus has become really, really problematic to them, and they want him gone. So they get together, and they, they scheme. They, they come up with a plan in order to try to arrest Jesus and, and have him killed, and the irony of this that you had mentioned is that they they think they are kind of doing this of their own will, their own volition, but their scheming and their plan, all it's going to do is bring about um, God's plan, uh, which is to have his son crucified and died for the life of sinners. I think it's absolutely um, stunning and beautiful how God does this. Right. So I'm, I'm trying to, you know, picture this in my mind because it, it, in a narrative, verse two and then verse three and four, I mean, it just has to follow that order. But I'm trying to pick the, picture this like like you might try to show this dramatically, say, in a movie or, or on a television screen where, where you might have sort of a side by side and, and to imagine these two conversations happening at the same time so that on the, the left side of the screen, there's Jesus talking to his disciples and telling them what's going to happen. And on the other mm-hmm. side, you have the conversation of, of the chief priests and the, the elders of the people plotting what's going to happen. And, and Matthew's putting these things side by side for us to help us recognize who, who re- as we've said already, who really is in control here? Who's directing these events? Is it, is it Christ yeah, or is it the chief priest? And, and the answer Matthew gives, of course, is, is Christ. Yeah. I mean, the chief priests and the elders, I think, from their perspective, they're going to argue that they're the ones who have power, that they're the ones that are in control. But but really, it is God using them to bring about his will. And, and God does this all the time in Scripture. I mean, if you want to go all the way back into the Old Testament, this happens with the Exodus event and hardening Pharaoh's heart and leading them out. This happens every time that the Israelites are judged during the the period of the judges where God uses enemies to bring punishment on his people, and then he raises people up to to defeat the enemies and kick them out of the land. It happens when the northern kingdom is uh, absolutely obliterated by the Assyrians who come in to bring judgment it happens when God uses the Babylonians to, to crush Judah. It happens when God raises up Cyrus to, to free them from exile in Babylon. I think in the story of God's people, it's, it's always hard to see in the moment how God is using the circumstances of the day. But, but that's how he, he does things, or God works through means. And, and in this particular passage, God is using even the wrath and the the vengeance of the chief priests and elders to to carry out what he needs done. I, I think it's wonderful. Right. I, I'm reminded of I'm reminded of Psalm two, which gets quoted more than once in the in the New Testament. And in Psalm two, we we get the these wonderful words that the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. I mean, that's that's the picture that's that's Matthew's giving us in verses three through five. The psalm continues, though, he who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. And, and I think that's the picture that you have in verses one through two, that that even as these rulers of the earth think that they're in control and think that they can accomplish something that, that God would not have accomplished all, all along, 
the Lord is in control and, and he is directing events. And, and this, I think we, sh- we shouldn't miss. He's directing events for the salvation of the world. That, that's why Jesus is doing all of this. He's not just sort of proving a point or, or showing that, hey, I'm, I'm better than you and you can't beat me. He, he's doing this to save sinners. And, and we, we can never lose sight of that as we go through the passion narrative. Yeah, and absolutely. And I, I think that uh, as Christians, it would be very good for us to, to recognize um, that there's kind of a level of condescension in Jesus here where when, when it comes to be his time, um, Jesus kind of consents to, to this crucifixion because when people sought to lay their hands on him before, he always was able to to escape from their presence because his time had not come yet. But now in chapter 26, um, he is going to to consent to have this stuff done to him in order that his death and ultimately his resurrection might save uh, human beings from their sins. Right, right. We've we've seen this a little bit already, even earlier in Holy Week, Matthew Matthew chapter. 20 the very end of it you've got people trying to silence those who would who would come to Jesus the two blind men for for healing and and we've heard Jesus tell people don't say anything but at that moment right before he moves into Jerusalem he doesn't say anything and, and again right here you see a similar thing where where Jesus is very purposely directing the events towards his his passion his death his resurrection for the salvation of sinners so so you got this conversation here, two conversations side by side to to help us see this point going forward into the the rest of this main event here in, in Matthew's gospel. And the first thing then that Matthew records for us is is what at least in, in many in the ESV is titled Jesus Anointed at Bethany. We've got a few minutes here on, on this side of the break, about four minutes, Pastor Ulmer, to to at least begin this conversation. We'll pick it up again on the other side. But just Set the scene for us, at least to get started, in the verses 6 through 13. What What's the picture? What's happening there in these verses? Yeah, so you you run into this scene where, where Jesus goes to uh, a guy's house in Bethany, which is just a couple miles from Jerusalem, and um, Matthew tells us whose house this is, Simon the leper. Um and he is greeted there by a woman who we're going to talk about his anointing in a little bit. But it, it's really interesting because in everything that I've read, kind of the, the amazing thing about this event is that the house of Simon the leper, the person of Simon the leper and the woman, they're, they're kind of more anonymous figures. They're not... Uh, a real big deal. It, it almost seems as this is just something that Jesus is doing as he's passing by, and something amazing happens to him there. And when kind of this um, difficulty enters the, the disciples' minds when they see this normal event that had happened uh, with Jesus, which is visiting people in their homes, and then this uh, amazing anointing, they they kind of don't understand what's going on, and this causes a little bit of friction uh, between Jesus and his disciples. Mm, right, right. So, yeah, on the on the one hand, this isn't all that unusual for Jesus to be going into someone's house, and and I do think it's it's maybe you know as, as we were talking earlier that the teaching portion of Jesus' ministry is concluded. It doesn't mean that Jesus has nothing left to teach per se. I mean, you're you're going to see that throughout. That he's, there's still going to be words in red. But but earlier, uh-huh. when Jesus would go into someone's house, that was that was the main thing that would happen. Would be that that he would be there to teach, to eat a meal with them, to teach. Here, that's not the main event that happens when he goes into the house. the The main event that goes into this house, as you said, is something that's that's quite spectacular. I don't know if you did any any research, Pastor Pastor Elmer, on this, but but the, the ESV says an alabaster flask of a very expensive ointment. I mean, this is not a uh-huh. this is not a small gift, is it? No, it it's not. Um, 
I think in in some if if it is to be the same event, some some uh, people say it's what seventy five pounds of, of ointment, and this is just an absolutely incredible gift, one that would be months and months, if not years and years of normal people's wages in order to uh, anoint Jesus at this at this event. And this is kind of why the disciples are so shocked when uh, when this woman anoints Jesus with this amazing gift. Right, right. This is this is wildly expensive. And that's that's going to be the the perspective that the disciples are going to latch on to. Jesus is going to have a different perspective as we will see going forward. We're going to see a bit more of that irony coming up here. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFUO. We're going to take a short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Monday, March 30th. We're looking at Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 through 19 with Pastor Matt Ulmer of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. Pastor Elmer, prior to the break, we we left off about verse 7 or 8. We, we've looked at what the event is. Jesus goes into the house of Simon the leper. There's a woman there. And nothing seems out of the ordinary at this point until this, this woman takes out a, a very expensive flask of, of ointment, and she anoints Jesus with this. And from that one event, we're going to see two different perspectives. We talked a little bit about irony prior to the break with the the two perspectives on what's going to happen in terms of Jesus going forward. Jesus knows the Pharisees, the scribes, the elders, they think they know, but they really don't. I think we've got another example of that here. And it starts with it starts with the disciples' perspective. So again, we've seen this event. Jesus has been anointed by a woman with a very expensive ointment. What's the disciples' perspective on this event that we get in the text? Yeah, the the disciples' perspective on this event is they're assuming that this visit at Simon the leper's house and their traveling into Jerusalem is just a normal day, a normal uh, Passover where the normal things are going to happen. The problem is, is that Jesus being anointed with an extraordinary sum of very, very valuable treasure in this ointment uh, makes this uh, scene very unusual. So when they think that when they think that they're going about their normal lives, and then something very unusual happens, they kind of have they're kind of disjointed and. The, the way that the disciples end up going is they, they want to resolve kind of the, the paradox, the irony, by, by defaulting back to everything is normal. We're going to play this thing out like it was, like it was a normal day. Um, and this is why they get mad when they see this woman wasting this uh, ointment on Jesus because – they very rightly say that if it were a normal day, they could take that ointment, they could sell that ointment, they could raise a very, very large amount of money, and then they could do very good things with that money. They could go out into the world, they could make people's lives better, they could give to the poor, they could uh, lessen the effects of evil in the world by uh, just a, a little bit to a, a much larger uh, audience than for just, I guess, Jesus to to be sitting in the house of somebody who is unclean, being a leper, and uh, smelling good for a day. They just don't understand what's going on. Right, and and they even go so far as to call this a waste. 
this this should yeah. have been used somewhere else. So so they look at this event and they call it a waste because as as you said, they they don't see the full picture. They've and we had this conversation earlier. You know, do they know in verse two, the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified? At least at this moment, they have not known that. They've not believed that so that they are able to understand and interpret this event in in the right way, according to Jesus' perspective. So they look at it and they say, this is a waste. Now, and Pastor Ulmer, I have to admit, I... I sympathize with that. <laughs> um, I, I, sympath- I sympathize with that quite a bit, and maybe maybe we can wrestle with that a little bit uh, later after after we've seen Jesus' perspective on it. But I I sympathize with this. So uh, this is this is I think maybe part of the struggle as we think about how do we how do we take this text and use it today. Um, but maybe maybe we should save that. So the disciples' perspective again, this is a waste. Jesus' perspective on the other yeah. hand, which is the one we're going to want to line up with. What what does he have to say about this? Yeah, Jesus uh, kind of recognizes the woman's action for what it is. He even says that uh, she has done a beautiful thing to me because what uh, she has done in faith is prepare Jesus for what's about to happen to him. The disciples think that this is just a normal day in the life. Jesus uh, knows that it is not a normal day in the life. He he knows that the time for him to to die is coming very very quickly, and what the woman is anointing him for is to be uh, killed. I mean, after all, this ointment would have been something that would have been used in the preparation of of a dead body. Um, and Jesus straight up tells his disciples that in pouring that ointment on him, that he, she has done it to prepare him for burial. So Jesus's perspective uh, is that the time is very unusual and is so unusual that we as Christians might say what was going to happen to Jesus next is the most unusual thing that has ever happened in the history of uh, humanity, namely that God would take on flesh so that he could die. And by saying it's unusual, I I mean this. It's happened exactly one time for the salvation of humanity. Um, It couldn't be any more abnormal and wonderful at the same time. And as as I'm thinking through this and and that question the disciples asked, their perspective, why this waste? And, and then Jesus' recognition of what is about to happen to him, and that this has happened in, in preparation for his, his death and burial. It reminds me a lot of the conversation that Jesus had with Peter back in Matthew chapter 16, right after Peter confessed, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says to his disciples that he starts talking about this, that this is what's going to happen, his, yeah. his death and resurrection. And, and Peter says, you know, far be it from you, Lord, this will never happen to you. Almost, almost the same, and again, it's not the same words in Greek or in English, but it, it seems to be a very similar perspective there as here. So, so, so here's, and this is where I'm going with this, Pastor Elmer, is that the why this waste is the perspective that would even look not just at this event, but what's about to happen to Jesus in his, his death, his suffering and death, look at that as a waste. You know, wh- why, why would you do that, Jesus? Whereas Jesus would say, no, no, this is what needs to happen for the salvation of the world. And, and we're seeing that, that perspective. And again, to go back to Matthew 16, the, the things of God versus the things of man, we're seeing that playing out a couple of days before it all happens here. What do you think? Yeah, a- absolutely. I think this is always one of the, the most difficult things as human beings because we live inside of a definite time and a definite place, and we don't get to see the things that happened before, and we don't get to see the things that are, are going to happen until they, they do happen. And I think here the disciples are are just being regular human beings who, who see the world, who see uh, chaos and destruction and evil and death, 
and they they have means right here in this house to do uh, some good for the world. The the issue that they don't understand is even though they might be able to uh, raise a small fortune and help uh, some people in this moment from the sale of this ointment, they don't understand that what Jesus is going to do is going to save all of humanity for all time from their sin. There, there are people who are acting uh, in in their the best way that they think that they can, and when they do that, when they're uh, trying to do humanity's will instead of God's will, they kind of miss the point where Jesus is trying to show them what he is going to do and how much better it is. Right. So so that what's what's happening here is that this woman is proclaiming Christ's death and burial and and his resurrection too, but primarily that's the event in view with the the anointing is the burial. She's proclaiming that ahead of time. And and what is more important than that? The disciples ha- have their minds fixed on earthly, but yeah, exactly. Nothing is more important than that. The things of God. This is, this is the salvation of the world that's being proclaimed right here, and, and so Jesus is and it's directing. The whole point of the book, too. Yes, yes. This is this is, again as as we said at the beginning. This is the climax. This is the point of Matthew's gospel, and we see it already here before Jesus even gets to what we typically call his, you know, I've been talking about his passion narrative. This is before that, I suppose you could say from a very technical perspective, but already having finished all these sayings, what are what are we, what's being put right in front of our faces? It's the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, and it's happening already here with this, this anointing. And so while maybe on, on another day, it, it would have been the right thing to do to sell this ointment and and give that to the poor to take care of the bodily needs of those around. On this day, it's not the right thing to do. On this day, the right thing to yeah, do because, is to proclaim Jesus' death and burial. Go ahead, Pastor Elmer. Yeah, because that death and his burial at this point in time in the book and in history is the only important thing. Right. So, so maybe, maybe now we can, we kind of come back to that question that I posed a little bit earlier. It's, it's very easy for me as, I don't know if it's because I'm an American or if it's because I'm, I'm a sinner, right? Um, it's very easy for me to sympathize with the disciples and their perspective here. It, it, it makes a lot of sense to me that, that you would sell that and give it to the poor. How, how do we, how do we, I mean, and Jesus, and I think we've already, in, in the way that we've already talked about this, I think we're making it plain that it's, it's not that Jesus would, would have us ignore the needs of those around us by no means, right? I mean, when you think about he had finished all these sayings, well, what has Jesus taught? He's, he has taught love of neighbor throughout his ministry. Absolutely. So he's, he's not, he's not getting rid of all that with just this one statement, but man, how do, how do we take this text and, and think about it? today, Pastor Ulmer. I'm not, I mean, I, I, one thing comes to mind is church buildings, but I'm not sure if that's, maybe that's a few steps down. What, what do you think? Yeah, I, I don't even know. I'll be honest. I don't even know if I, I thought about this in my preparation for this show, but as you're talking, I think, I think what it does or what it ought to do is try to reframe our thinking and our living as Christians back to maybe something that we talked about the last time I was on the show with you when we did Matthew 7, talking about judging. It's all about us understanding that God has a will, human beings have wills, and what we do with God's help is to align our will with His. Um, In this particular instance, I, I don't think that Jesus is telling us that we ought not take care of the poor. He, he, told, he told us in many places that that's actually what we're here to do. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are our brother's keeper. We are here for the physical and spiritual well-being of our neighbors. But in order to, to do that, we, we have to understand God's plan of salvation and fear, love, and trust in Him above even our wills. I think here it 
you could almost say seeing what Jesus is doing here is almost like a first commandment uh, issue where um, instead of putting the faith in themselves, this is the disciples, they, they ought to be seeing what Jesus is doing and put their faith and trust in him first. Right. To, to ad- adopt that, that divine perspective that Jesus has as, as what, what is the, what's going on this week, this holy week that, that he is in, right? Is this just another yeah. week or is this the week to end all weeks that the, the day of the Lord that's, that's talked about in the old Testament and, and in the new is, is about to happen to Jesus on good Friday. So that, that, and that, that above all else is the most important thing that's going on. We're talking about the, the center of all history here. And, and yeah. to adopt that perspective still today for us as Christians. So, you know, I mean, and, and again, when one of the places that, you know, we, we tend to be very pragmatic people here in the United States of America. And I, I think I, I tend to be that type of person anyways. And so I, I don't I, often I think do about, too. yeah. So I don't often think about things like, like beauty. Right. Um, and, and what, and I just want to kind of do it in the, the simplest way, the, the least expensive way. Right. And, and Jesus maybe calls us away from, from that, not in the sense that we would, wouldn't be good stewards, but, but think about what, what are we proclaiming by this action? Yeah. Are we, are we pro, and particularly as Christians, whether that's a, as an individual or a congregation, am I proclaiming Christ crucified. So, you know, I mentioned church buildings, right? And, and I think the temptation is, well, I'm going to just, the, the, you can, sure, you can have a worship service in a plain building. And that's, you got the word, yeah, you've got Jesus, right? But, but if you have the opportunity to, within that building, confess Christ in some way, is it, is it worth the expense? I, I think a text I, like I this. I think that the answer would be yes. Yes, right. I think I think a text like this, while while not maybe the 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 total application, right, or that's just sort of the but but a text like this invites us to consider: are are we just trying to are we focused on the things of man and 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 money and trying to use it in the you know keep things least expensive possible, or are we focused on the things of God and how our actions, what we do, is is proclaiming Christ crucified and risen? Or, or not proclaiming that. And, and I think that's a broader perspective than, you know, say what you do with a church building, right? Um, but, yeah. but I think that may be one, one piece of it. So what's the most important? Christ crucified, risen for you. Are we proclaiming that and, in what and we any, say and what we do? Yeah, go yeah ahead. and anything that we can do to make that proclamation more clear in my book is a great thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and and just a, a, a notice here, I think this is probably worth pointing out before we leave this part behind, but verse 13, you know, where Jesus says, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her right here. And now Christ's words have, have proved true, right? Because here here we are yep. talking about what this woman has and done uh, to absolutely proclaim Christ. Absolutely amazing because I think what doubly makes verse 13 all that much more powerful is that this woman is never named in the Gospel of Matthew. Mm. So at the same time, she is both completely anonymous and people are speaking about her action to this very minute. It's, mm. it's beautiful. So the, the text continues, and it just it moves right from Jesus' words there in verse 13 into verse 14. And, and again, this is something that Jesus has said is going to happen, but we see the betrayal of Judas. And, and we've, got, we've got nine minutes here on, on the morning, Pastor Elmer, to get through these next several verses. So let, let's talk a little bit about what's, what's happening with, with Judas here in verses 14 through 16. Yeah, what, what's kind of amazing to me in, in rereading Matthew 26 uh, for this uh, talk with you today, Pastor Apple, is that in Matthew, it's amazing that it kind of just happens right after Jesus' anointing at Bethany. And um, Matthew gives no commentary as to why Judas uh, decides to betray Jesus. It just kind of says, and now he kind of made up his mind, and he goes to chief priest and says, well, what will you give me if I uh, hand him over to you? I think in other Gospels you kind of get some of his motivation uh, that— he was a lover of money and that um, his own financial gain was a part of that, which could be the case because um, Judas just saw this woman waste a tremendous fortune on him, and maybe he was angry over that. 
But we don't know that for sure in the Gospel of Matthew. The only thing that we know is that um, Judas, um, under the direction of Satan, uh, agrees to betray Jesus, and he does it for a sum of 30 pieces of silver. And after they agree to the terms, he looks for the right time to uh, get the deed done. Right, right. Yeah, the the motivation of Judas is not spelled out. You know, this is why Judas did it. Not in Matthew's gospel, as you point out. And I think Luke is the one that that says Satan entered into Judas. Maybe John points that out as well. I, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and and in John, you also get a a more clearer picture that you alluded to it that he's a lover of money. He was the the treasurer and sometimes would steal from from the money bag is what John tells us. So there's there's certainly that. You know, Matthew leaves that a bit uh, mysterious and just simply presents the fact. And I, I think that mm-hmm. can be just a helpful thing to, as a way of, of thinking, you know, why, why, right? I mean, it, on, on the one hand, it, it just doesn't make sense. And, and sin and evil don't make sense. When you stop and think about them from a, a rational, reasonable perspective, they don't make sense. <laughs> and, and I think that's part of the point. And, and yet on the other yeah, hand. And I agree with you. The, the other hand, too, just to, to reiterate some of the things we've said already, that, well, why? Ultimately, the why that Matthew is going to give us is this is Jesus working out the salvation of the world. And and finally, yeah, that's the God's why. Plan. Right, right. So beyond what human motivations Judas may have had, and, and certainly we know these things from the other Gospels and they're, they're valid things to say, but but ultimately the why is that this is Christ working out the salvation of the world for you and for me. And, and that, I mean, that's ultimately going to be the most comforting answer for us is to see the love of God to save sinners. Mm-hmm. So Pastor Elmer, we got about five and a half minutes here now, and, and we've got a few more verses. This is going to provide a bit of an, an overlap into tomorrow's text, a bit of a cliffhanger to make people keep listening here, right? Because we're, we're going to get started on the Passover but not quite get to the the main event of the Passover. It, it's the first day of unleavened bread. This is the day that that we usually call in in the church today Monday Thursday or Holy Thursday. And and what we have in our text today are the preparations that are made. Take us into to verses seventeen through nineteen of the text. Yeah, I think I think the the most basic and most amazing thing about this text is that while we're transitioning into the actual events of Monday, Thursday, that in verses 17 to 19, um, it's very important for Jesus and the disciples that they go and celebrate the Passover. I mean, after all, these are the people of God. Uh, All of these people here are Jews, and they are all under the um, commandment from Exodus 12 to uh, celebrate that Memorial Day forever. And that day was now upon them. And since it was upon them, what was their obligation? Their obligation is to hold the supper. So the disciples asked, where, are, where do you want us to go prepared for you? Because they're going to have the Passover. Jesus tells them very plainly, go to in the city, go to a certain person, um, tell him the teacher says, my time's at hand, and kind of there will be a place there for you. Go set it up. We're going to have Passover with him, and we are going to uh, hold that feast uh, as we ought to. Uh, This is part of their life. This is part of their religion. This is part of Jesus's own personal keeping of the law. So here in three verses, we, we see Jesus do exactly what he has to do on the Passover. And I think that's simple, but also amazing. Right. Uh, On the one hand, right, this is Jesus doing what the Word of God commands him to do to keep the Passover. Again, we see his perfect fulfillment of the law in our place. And yet at the same time, as we know, what's, what's about to happen is something that's that's different, or or the fulfillment, maybe is the way we should talk about it. This is the fulfillment of everything that's that's come up to this point. And, and I think that's yeah. where the, the words that I, I key in on here in, in these final verses are, are in verse 18, where Jesus tells 
these disciples who are going into the city what to say. They are to say to this person, my time is at hand. Now, take just, just give us a little bit on those words, Pastor Elmer, my time is at hand. Yeah, every, every time that um, the disciples or anybody wants Jesus to do something in the Gospels, um, when it's not his time, he tells them, um, my time's not at hammer. My time is not at hand, or my time hasn't come yet. The tune has changed now. Jesus says, my time's at hand. Uh, the time has now come for the entire purpose of Jesus's nativity, his life, his ministry. It's, it's time for that to come to its conclusion. And on this, the Passover, which I'm sure you'll get into tomorrow with your guest, is that they're going to eat a lamb as the, the Word of God has commanded to them. But shortly after that, he is going to be the Passover lamb that's sacrificed for salvation of mankind. Right. Yeah. My my time. Jesus, again, he's entering into this willingly for the sake of, of sinners. He's He is doing this of his own free accord to save us. Pastor Elmer, we've got about, about a minute here left. Give us a, a short summary of everything we've talked about today. Yeah. Uh, in Matthew 26, we have Jesus concluding his final discourse, his final teaching in the Gospel of Matthew. He tells his disciples that... Uh, they are going to Jerusalem, and in two days' time that he is going to die. We see how that's going to transpire in the plotting of the chief priests and the elders. Um, as they're going to Jerusalem, um, an event happens that shows the disciples that uh, everything that's happening is going to be out of the ordinary, that he is uh, anointed to his death. We figure out that Judas, one of his disciples, is going to betray him into the hands of his enemies. And that Jesus does what the Word of God commands him to do. He goes and celebrates the Passover fully knowing that it's going to be his last meal and that he goes into his death willingly for us. Pastor Matt Ulmer is the pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 through 19. Pastor Ulmer, thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. It was wonderful being with you. This is Jesus' time. Everything in Matthew's Gospel has been driving forward to this point where Jesus goes willingly and gladly into his suffering, death, and resurrection to save you and me. This is the most important news, the most important proclamation that can happen in this world. What a joy it is to have that good news proclaimed into our ears and into our hearts each and every day here on Sharper Iron. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.